This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Give and go with Miller. Now he plays near side for Hughes. Shot. They score. Quinn Hughes threw it to the net off the near wall. Garland was parked in front. And I think he tipped it home. The Canucks make it a one-goal game with 106 left in the third. It's 4-3. to three. Andre Kuzmenko into the Nashville zone. Left wing for JT Miller. Shot. Tip. They score. Miller threw it to the net. Andre Kuzmenko deflects it home with 15.4 seconds remaining in the third period. The Canucks have tied the game. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. As Pedersen needs to score. Here he cuts into the slot to the forehand. He misses and the Predators win. Credit the Canucks for clawing back in the final minute. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Chaos all around. Canucks come back to get a point out of this game, but lose in a shootout against the Nashville Predators. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free 1-888-275-0650. We'll go to Randeep in just a moment here, Bick. But... Just thoughts on what a chaotic outcome to this hockey game. I mean, the end of that third period, somehow, some way, the Canucks score two goals in under two minutes, force overtime, a bushel load of chances in overtime, a shootout. I'm sorry, how? What was that? Bushel full. Like a banana bushel? Yeah, banana, exactly. I bushel of bananas. I, I, a bushel I, I, I see of bananas, yes. This game, not to sound like Gwen Stefani, but this game was B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> it really was. I got ahead of it last game. This game was bananas. <laughs> All right, let's bring in Randeep into the, Randeep into the discussion. And Randeep, I mean, a lot of places to start. And for a large portion of this game, it seemed like the story was going to be defense, critical errors, Tyler Myers having his struggles. But let's start with the positives, and let's start with none other other than Andre Kuzmenko, who willed the Canucks back into this in the third period. And if there was one guy who was thoroughly engaged start to finish, it was Kuzmenko. And boy, did he almost play hero for the victory tonight for Vancouver. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have any Gwen Stefani references for you guys. <laughs> but in terms of his play, that tying goal that he scored, the finish is great. That's an amazing tip. But the play, you know, it looked like Connor Garland and essentially giving away the game where he makes that play and Nashville on the right-hand side is just going to kill the clock. But Kuzmenko comes out of that crowd and just goes, when you talk about north-south, that's the play that Rick Tockett's going to be like, I like that direct game. That's a player that doesn't slam on the brakes, is not looking to maybe find support. He's saying, no, I want to to change the, the outlook of this game and I want to tie up this game. So to me, you know, the first goal was great because it's just a high-level shot. He gets time and space. He's on a breakaway. And he roofs it. One of the best goalies in the league, UC Saros, is not going to save that. But the second one, guys, where you saw that will to win. You saw that will to get his team back in the game and tie up that game. I look at that play and say that's a sign of maturity from Andre Kuzmenko where Rick Tockett has challenged him to be better, has cut down the ice time in certain games. That's a high-level player, high-skilled player coming in saying, you know what, you want north-south? I'll give you north-south. If you don't have any Gwen Stefani references, then don't speak. Yeah. I mean, and Jesse's calling us out, texting in to our Dunbar No doubt. Lem- no doubt. <laughs> Dunbar Lemon talks to text inbox saying, bunch of boomer references. Yeah. I guess so. We're getting old. That point was the sweet escape. <laughs> yeah. I While well, I was talking there for about 45 seconds, you were just Googling <laughs> you, Gwen Stefani songs, weren't you? <laughs> uh, anyways, I did. did you have to have a spreadsheet of uh, Gwen Stefani songs, too? Leave me alone. 
Leave me alone. Uh, all right. Uh, on Kuzmenko, though. Hey, you, look. You... <laughs> there you go. You mentioned the uh, like the, the, the north-south element, right? And the phrase I've used, and look, I know a lot of people are going to be annoyed by the, the one point, but like, well, we're talking about building blocks for the future as well here, and I've always wanted to find guys that are willing to run into burning buildings. And that, to me, like that last minute there for Kuzmenko, that type of play – Work it off the wall, get it to JT, and then stick tapping the ice like, "Hey, I want it back here. I'm going to the net. Hit me." It's it's. it's I know people are going to be annoyed, but it's that sort of mentality that you do actually want to see from a player. For sure, you do, and the ability to say, "Hey, it's crunch time. I want to be out there." Remember earlier on this year, we we're talking about how Lane Peterson got an opportunity on the ice. Right. Curtis Lazar got an opportunity. Yeah. Well, plays like that. Are, that's going to ensure that Kuzmenko's never left on the bench ever again if he's willing to make plays like that. And guys, I look at you know the situation with Kuzmenko, and that final goal that the Canucks scored was a big one. But even early on in this game, when they weren't able to generate, he was hitting the middle of the ice. He was trying to get uh, you know some opportunities. J- JT Miller hit him on the power play at one point too. That created an opportunity, but Ekholm got a stick on it. So. It was consistent throughout the night. It wasn't simply that play. It was, this is a guy that was looking towards goal every single time. He's going through traffic and trying to make that play. Uh, But that final moment, I think with Kuzmenko, there's going to be a lot of people, call him Tankus, call him whatever you want to call it. But the fact is, you want to see growth from the players on your roster. You want to see that investment that was made in signing him be a good one. And if he continues to play like this, hey, you're going to eventually pick up points for the rest of the season. You also want to see progress from these individual players. And Kuzmenko was very, very impressive, especially late in this game. Uh, And, again, people are annoyed at the one point. It's already coming in. Mm -hmm. Just a heads up, Chicago tied the game late against Vegas. Uh, there's 45 seconds to go. It's 2-2. So they are trending towards a point as well with 30-some-odd seconds to go in the game and icing okay. just now. So we'll uh, update you as uh, that game progresses as well. Well, there you go. Okay, just to add on that, guys, one second. The Canucks are not going to go pointless for the rest of, of the season. Of course not. They're yeah. going to pick up points and every now and then. It's a thing that like you can't control. Yeah, you can get some points. I mean, it's honestly, I know Jane Poco says another needless point. Mark my words, until the Canucks start making short-term sacrifices necessary for long-term success, they'll never achieve greatness in this league. Well, they've shut down Mikheyev the rest of this year. OEL's now injured. They're not rushing him back. Horvath's been traded. Horvath's been traded. Demko. Demko, they're not rushing back, and maybe he's had a setback, right? They sat Luke Shen out tonight. They made a coaching change, and the coaches say, we're not worried about results. We're, we're leaning on process. I mean, there isn't much else these guys can do right now. And by the way, Montreal also won today, and uh, Philly is leading Edmonton right now, as far as other teams that are in the the, yeah. the draft lottery odds. But the Canucks do jump from fifth to sixth place now in the lottery they, they odds. they got Dealey and Silas playing. So, so mm-hmm. Randy, in terms of like you know how this team is performing, and maybe they win some games, and you know they should tank, I don't think there's much else this, this team can do. They're trying to make trades. They're sitting a guy out who might get traded, Luke Shen, pretty soon here. So, I mean, there isn't much else you can do. I mean, they're sitting here with the fifth-worst record in the league. I mean, it, it's pretty bad. No, for sure. And if you look at the opposition tonight, right? Nashville, the 26th best or, you know, not good uh, scoring team in the NHL, they still give up four goals to them. So defensively, and I know the lead in this postgame show would have been Tyler Myers in the defensive play. Like that was still a thing in today's game, right? It's not like it's all sunshine and rainbows here for the Vancouver Canucks. They we were this close, this close to be talking about how, you know, those 
four goals you're looking at are coming off of really bad defensive plays. So the fact that they're able to, despite all of that, and certain players took a leadership role, and that's what matters to me here. A leadership role where Kuzmenko, even though you don't necessarily see him as a rah-rah leader like a JT Miller or a, you know, a stoic leader like a Elias Pettersson, that moment where he takes the puck out of that, that scrum, essentially, that's a grabbing a bull by the horn type of moment. So there sh- can be positives down the stretch uh, as the team is, to your point, Sat, not going to be very good. I think we all acknowledge that, especially with more players coming off this roster. The Myers game overall, you kind of hinted at it there. Like, some of the decision-making, some of the timing was so puzzling mm-hmm. tonight, Randy. Yeah, that might be, I think, one of the, probably one of the worst games we've seen Tyler Myers play as a professional. Oh, like, yeah. that was, and I know that sounds harsh, but it was a rough night for him. If you look at every single goal, every mm-hmm. single goal outside of the shootout, yeah. you know, Tyler Myers had a role in that. Two of them, he was behind Colin Delia, yeah. not taking a body, not taking the puck, not taking anything, and... Really, that fourth goal, the Granlin goal, just delaying, right? And I understand he stumbles, he falls, but you can make a decision quick. You can make a decision quicker on that right-hand side. And the fact that he delays really puts himself in a, in a bad position. And after that, you know, falling, gets back into the play, doesn't really have anybody. That was, to me, one of the, the worst performances. I think Tyler Myers, he might, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to speak after the game, but that was definitely one of his uh, worst performances I've seen. It, it certainly was. I mean, and I know people, I mentioned that on social, on, on Twitter as well, and people replied saying, oh, there's a lot to choose from. We've seen a lot of bad games. We have, but not quite to that degree. I know there's no OEL, no Luke Shen, of course, right? I mean, Dermott's obviously out. I mean, the, the Pullman's out too. So they have a lot of guys out that are regulars, but I can't look at this and say, oh, this is because Myers played too much, or this is because Myers in a tough, like th- these are the type of mistakes that are are very basic that he's making at this point. It looks like a guy who's completely lost any sense of confidence. And and there was like games last season where you can look at it and say, hey, like there are positives, right? Mm-hmm. I've called him like the ink blot D man. Yeah. It's like you can see what you want to see. But tonight some like the decision making to cross the ice and attack someone in the corner, not on your defensive side, when Willannon was there, Randy you mentioned obviously the Grandland goal. it's stuff like this that I just wonder it's is that someone trying to do too much, as you mentioned, like the the overconfidence or the, the lack of confidence? Yeah, the Delia ones, you know, when he's behind the goaltender and really covering, it felt, it felt like we were watching soccer, like a corner kick. There's a yep. the far post protecting the post. It's like, take the body, take the man. There's a puck right in front of you, uh, three yellow jerseys. And there, uh, that you know, that first goal, particularly where you've got a number of players, including Cole Smith, who ends up scoring the goal, but Sissons is there. A number of national players, and you give away the puck first of all, and then you're scrambling. To me, that was you know a, a bad game for him, and then that's that's the, I think being kind. But he didn't even play that much more. He played actually played less than the last game. He played 20 minutes and nine seconds, guys. Last game he played 20 minutes and 18 seconds. And I understand the matchups might be a little different now that you're playing with a new partner. But to me, it was a player that a doesn't have confidence. And those goals that he ends up behind Delia, is that a, are you trying to do too much? Are you trying to protect the goaltender? To be fair, Colin Delia, you know, late in this game especially, look confident. So I, I don't understand why Myers is making that decision in that moment when it's obvious they need a physical presence to clean up what's in front of Colin Delia, not behind him. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and and that's the thing. I mean, there's so many parts of his game that has really fallen off the, at the end of this season, and you know we'll, we'll see how that goes the rest of this year and what the future has in store for Myers. But I mean, rough outing for him. But Randy, great stuff as always. Calling the game alongside Brendan Bachelor. There was a chaotic game, a lot of fun, and a lot of head scratching. But here we are. It is the Canucks season after all, and we look forward to seeing what happens on Thursday when the Canucks play another bad team, the St. Louis Blues. Okay, guys, I know people won't enjoy me saying this, but the final minute of that game, I enjoyed calling it. I'll say that. I know people don't like the point, but I enjoyed calling it. (laughs) You know what? It was a lot of fun at the end, at least. Hey, the back and forth was there. Thanks for your time, Randy. Cheers, boys. Have a good one. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, like this one. Uh, My- Myers knows how to not get traded. He obviously doesn't want his family to have to move. And, <laughs> hey, I think a Myers trade at the deadline was always going to be yeah. a long shot anyways. We'll see what happens in the offseason, but we'll see. Uh, and this one says, can we stop picking on Myers? He's the only player that puts his heart and soul on the line for the tank. I was a little head-scratching where you're going there. But, uh, uh, there you go. That was a text. Jokes for 60. Uh, we like it. Uh, keep more of your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. Um, which one? You want to No, I just like the Gwen Stefani references oh, yeah. are going through the, <laughs> the yeah. text inbox right now. Someone Please did... make me like you, like you and don't speak of talk at te- teaching Kuzmenko how to score. Kuz is hella good. He was like, <laughs> let me reintroduce myself on that goal. <laughs> Joke for 60, working hard in the inbox right now. Very hard. And somebody said, uh, Brain O'Shyan, that boomer take was bananas. It's a millennial thing. You know what? Facts only. <laughs> yes, it is bananas. All right, keep your thoughts coming in. You want to grab a phone line, you can as well. 604-280-0650 or one 275 It's Shaw with Bick Nazar. Canucks lose in a shootout 5-4 in Nashville or gains to Preds. We'll hear from head coach Rick Tockett next, right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. As Patterson needs to score. Here he cuts into the slot to the forehand. He misses and the Predators win. Credit the Canucks for clawing back in the final minute of the third period to force the game to overtime. But Matt Duchesne scores the only goal of the shootout and Nashville takes it five to four. Canucks drop a decision in a shootout in Nashville against Predators, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. We are going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett coming up in just a moment's time, and uh, we will get to the phone boards as well. 604-280-0650, and... Uh, it looked like the Chicago Blackhawks were going to get... I told you there would be drama. There will be drama. The Blackhawks did not win. So here's what happened. Patrick Kane picked up a loose puck in his own zone yes. with 4.3 seconds left in 3-on-3 three three OT. And he wasn't even skating up ice. So he had to get all the way up ice and then took a slap shot, and they had to go to the clock. Like, it, it's a buzzer beater. And I think it... Well, 
0.2 seconds late. Yeah, didn't go in, so now it's going through a shootout. So we'll see if Chicago what a keeps shot. inching up. Yeah, what a shot by Patrick Kane, who may not be long for Chicago anyways. Uh, yes, uh, no goal for Patrick Kane, but we'll see what happens the rest of the one. All right, uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. William and Langley, uh, scouts watching Myers stumble around like a, dr- a drunk giraffe that way. Probably won't take him for free with the first as a sweetener. His play was absolutely hideous. A really rough game for Tyler Myers tonight, so I understand. Uh, this one says, 840 save percentage. You guys talk about defense and Miller is doing his job or who should be traded. Team is as good as any. Get a goalie. Uh, I mean... I don't know if this team is as good as any, even though, I mean, tonight we talk about, you know, how the Canucks played. Chicago still, I mean, sorry, Nashville still had more quality scoring chances than Vancouver did. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and Nashville's not a good hockey team. Someone texted in, very sloppy game, many mistakes. And that's a great yeah. representation of it. Even some of the chances gains. How many chances were created out of pure ingenuity or creativity? A lot of it for both teams yes. was just mistakes. And so it just comes down to who who generated more scoring chances off of mistakes. And some of them were unforced. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the, the one I talked about earlier, uh, the Brock Besser, the, the first Kuzmenko goal. Like, Brock chases down a play. That's a forced play. Forced it up the ice. Quinn forces a turnover. Yes. Generates a play. That's a nice forced turnover, and you create that goal. The other Canuck goals tonight, like, the, the drives one. Okay, that's on the power play. Uh, the Garland one. Like, the the Preds should probably be doing a bit better, p- playing a bit with more urgency. Probably. And certainly the Kuzmenko goal, even as it was happening and Niederreiter was yeah, doing you t- you yeoman's to me. work you were. along you, the wall. And you turned to me, you're like, oh my god, these guys are not goal side. <laughs> Both the other two Predators in the offensive zone are above the puck. Yeah. And if you're trying to protect a one-goal lead, that puck's going to score it out at some point. You want to slow them down. That's a mistake. And you look mm-hmm. at that, it's like that, that that's how chances get created. And it, it was a really sloppy game for both teams. And it, it's obvious why both teams are not going to the playoffs. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're not good hockey teams. And, I mean, I'd say the Preds should be better than they are. I mean, you can make the same case of Vancouver. But with the injuries and where they find themselves this season, I mean, they are what they are. I mean, hey, listen, I, think, I don't think the standings lie about Vancouver season so mm-hmm. far. And they're tied for the fifth worst record with the Arizona Coyotes. And the Coyotes are just I – mean, the Canucks have an advantage just slightly in the standings because they have the tiebreaker. But we're talking about identical point percentage, identical points so far through the season with the Canucks and the Coyotes. Coyotes! The Arizona Coyotes yeah. who are playing in a college arena and started their season on like a 25-game road trip or whatever it was. It, I mean, so that's kind of where yeah. the Canucks find themselves. All right, keep your thoughts coming in. We'll get to more of your text messages. Uh, let's go to the phone board, 604-280-0650. And let's go to Paul in Coquitlam, who's on the line. Paul, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Oh, hey, guys. Um yeah, I love that comment about uh, appreciating Myers uh, with his contribution to the tank team. Yeah, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but um, I did want to say something about our drafting, and that's something that's very critical about this team because the only way we're going to be successful mm-hmm. um, with this organization is by better drafting. I think right now we're one of the worst teams in the league for drafting players past the third round, third round or, or beyond. We're like at the bottom bottom of the league. Um, also, if we look at the history of the last eight years in the draft picks, we've gotten in the first round 
Uh, some have been home runs, and then some have been complete disasters. There's no there's no consistency in our drafting system. Yeah. Next thing I want to point out is that last year's draft, for example, Jim Rutherford's first year and Alvin's first year drafting. Here they are sitting there. There's a full panel on TV of experts, not not guys like you and I, but actual experts that know the the, the drafting system that are saying, "Well, Vancouver have a great opportunity to grab a, a, that right winger." Joe Kim um, Kimmel, um, <clears throat> and instead of taking him, we took Lakaramaki, and the only reason that was pointed out was perhaps it was because he was Swedish and he might work out better for our organization. Today, less than a year later, here's uh, Kimmel, who's ranked in the top ten prospects in the world, and Lakaramaki is something 80th, a guy who's never going to see the NHL in his lifetime. And here we have, we missed out another player in poor drafting. I'd love to, to find out why did they choose Karamaki over Kemmel when it, everybody in the panel and everybody in the, in the league were saying that he was a superior player. Hey, Paul, thanks for the phone call. I mean, as far as drafts are concerned, it's, what, nine months out since the draft was held, seven months out. Let, let's see how it all plays out. Kemmel, he's not wrong. He's had a terrific season. He looks like a real deal prospect. The Canucks didn't take Lakaramaki because he's Swedish. They took Lakaramaki because they think his shot is elite, and they thought that trait was the best trait of any player available at that stage. I've seen draft rankings that had Lakaramaki well ahead of Camel. I've seen others with Camel ahead. Right now, it looks like Camel's a better draft pick, but you got to give time for draft picks to see how it all unfolds. But hey, I, I get it. You know, Camel's had a good season, and, and being upset about it, I get it. But and as far as what the rest of this team has to do, I mean. We all understand how much work is ahead of this team and what they have to do to turn this around overall. But, I mean. This team has a historically bad draft process. They, they have. They've had a bad draft process. Not just the previous regime. And sorry, I, I, it's too early to make judgments on this current group. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen it's. But, we haven't have a full draft year to yeah, judge yet. The, the previous regime struggled. The regime before them struggled. The regime before them has struggled. There just hasn't been a long history of success for draft into development for the Vancouver Canucks franchise. There's a bunch of hits, obviously, some successes, but historically they're among the worst in the NHL at draft success, which is why we're sitting here after 50-plus years and saying, hey, there hasn't been a Stanley Cup here. That's why. And this this year's draft is going to be a massive one for this team. Yeah. And that's why they have two first-round picks, potentially, depending on what happens with the Islanders. Their pick obviously has a chance to land Bedard, if not a top-three pick. And if you're looking at having any chance in four to five years to really contend, this draft is going to have to be critical. And, and like, Kara Mack is going to have to play a part in some down, someday down in the future, too. I'd push back on this guy's never going to see the NHL after six months. Like Ludicrous if you, statement. Like, if you're calling in and saying, I'm not the expert, you guys are an expert, the people on on... Um, on the panel were experts. So then how are you providing an expert opinion and, after six months that he's never going to play in the NHL? And, and look, he might not, just uh, for, for sake of fairness, he might not. But to suggest after seven months he's not going to make it to the NHL, way too harsh. Yeah. Way too harsh. And generally, if you fade draft picks, that's the right take because most yeah. of them don't work out. That's 60% the of them like, don't make the NHL. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a bold statement saying a, a draft pick is not going to work out because typically that's what happens with a lot of these draft picks. Uh, a lot of the text coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. 
Um, Blackhawks win. They, they did do. win in the shootout. They Patrick the shootout. Kane tried doing the slap shot on a shootout again. Uh, but they do. Uh, Tyler Johnson ends up winning it for them. So they pick up two points. Uh, so they will uh, now be f- six points back of Vancouver. Some of those games later on in the year are uh, really going to matter. Yes, they are going to matter. Those uh, The game against Chicago, uh, March 26th and April 6th. Yeah. No, those are big ones. They're big games coming up. All right, let's get to one more text before we get to head coach Rick Talkett. Just in the coots. Forget Gwen Stefani. Give me more little koozie vert at blue. We'll look back at this as his breakout game. I think we've already seen a breakout game, but this was the most dynamic game I think we've seen from him. Or Honestly, I'm seeing more dynamic plays from him as the season goes on. It's almost like he's getting quicker mm-hmm. and more confident. And we'll talk to IMAC later, but he's been mentioning how uh, Kuzmenko has been on his own workout regime, and he works very hard to catch up to NHL um, conditioning and shape. And it's like he's getting in better shape as the season goes on. I can't say enough about how dedicated this guy so is. So some great quickness on that play. Yeah. Uh, separating, a, a working through a lot of contact, exploding through the neutral zone, and continuing all the way through to the net. Uh, yeah. Little Kuzi Vert. Little Uzi Vert. Little Uzi Vert. I like Maybe it. he listens to No Problem. No, maybe. As soon as he got the puck off the boards, he's like, no problem. No problem. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. All right. Uh, what did the head coach feel about the Canucks tonight? Well, here he is after a 5-4 loss in a shootout in Nashville against the Preds. Yeah, we just played a good hockey game. We deserve better. You know, a lot of guys gave a good effort tonight. I think, I'm not sure the final total, but maybe 21 or 22 shots against the 5-5 five five through regulation overtime. So defensively. Good, pretty good number. Yeah, they had about 12 shots also after the second period. I, I like the way we played. You know, obviously we made some key mistakes, um, but I thought for the most part, you know, we, we held our, we had a lot of ozone play. The key breakdowns and the goals was a tough night for the Stillman and Myers combo. Yeah, they had a tough night. Uh, especially when you tie the game 2-2, and I think it was 21-7. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just get through the period. Well, yeah, I just, it's, you know, you can't let your, you know, we got back in and you can't let your foot off a, foot off a wounded snake. A, a couple of bad reads by the D there, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. you think you defensively you just need to be more robust at times, more physical in front of the net? Yeah. yeah. How difficult is the situation with, with Luke Yeah. I agree. Yeah, things things were heating up last night, so I just felt, you know, there's a world we live in right now in that trade deadline world. But, uh, yeah, I talked to Luke today, and uh, guy's a great, great pro. Kind of a bit of coach in a funny position. <laughs> You'd probably like to keep him with what he brings, but, you know, the business is the business, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, the position you're in, you know, you you got to look at Whatever you whatever you're trying to do, but yeah. But uh, you know, Luke's like I said, he's a pro. This the trade. So I was talking to JT about this. Uh, you know, around the trade deadline, a lot of weird things happen. You know, other teams are going through the same thing. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-4 shootout loss in Nashville. And he says he felt they deserved better, liked their process, some key mistakes. Uh, and then, he, he, you know what? He didn't really dig into things too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty much it, right? Like he, you could tell it was a little frustration. Like mm-hmm. we haven't heard him yet get really frustrated. And hey, he's a competitor. They lose that tough game with how it went. 
you, you can probably you could, you could hear he was disappointed with how this worked out this time. But Stillman and Myers, tough night. He mentioned mm-hmm. that, but didn't get into any any of it. Like he kind of just held it. He kind of bit his tongue a bit tonight. I think he was careful to not say something. Tell the truth, but don't crack the whip. Yeah, that's all he could really do. And yeah, not surprised. Hey, the one thing Rick Tockett has been honest. Yeah, very honest. He didn't need to go all the way. No, and, he, and, and you know, like because and, he mentioned he thought the team played fairly well, and they had some moments, of course. But I mean, it's all relative. With where this team finds itself. Okay, I got a question for you. Okay, please. Do you think he's been more critical of the people that are going to be here long term? Yeah, I think so. Because those are the ones that you got to work harder. You got to make sure that you have on board. And he's continually asking for more from Pedersen, from from Miller, mm-hmm. from Hughes. He wants more from those guys. Kuzmenko, obviously. Those are the guys he wants more from. Trying to be more critical of them to get them to the spot where he's going to be able to trust them later on in his tenure. Well, it's like it's the you know the classic coaching line is I'm tougher on you cuz I I I know you can give me more. And I and I want more from you. Like you're important. Yeah. We need more from you. You know, I think that's what it is. And we know Myers is going to be here long term. Stillman's not going to be here long term. He's not going to launch into those Even guys. if there's no trade, like Tyler Myers contract does end next year. Yes, it does. You're going to find a way out of it. In one year's time, it's done. You know, and you're out from under it. And I think that's why you kind of let he let that one slide. What is clear? I mean, frustrated with how those guys played. And, you know, you and I have defended Myers a lot over the mm-hmm. years. There's no defending tonight's game. I mean, like, they're just replaying the highlights here. We're just watching it. Like the one where he turns around he and fall, stumbles he and hits falls the official over. and then rolls over. It's just, it's just rough. Like, I, honestly, I, I feel bad because if you're a player and you see the highlights, you can't, that's got to be like you, you just want to dig your head in the sand. Right, like it's a it's a tough one. So I so I get it, but it's rough. It's a rough. Uh, we'll keep getting back to a lot of your text messages. Text messages on the text inbox six fifty six fifty. You can grab a phone line as well six zero four two eight zero zero six fifty. We'll hear from Canucks players after a five four loss at Satin Bick right here on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet six fifty and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central post game show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. But Patterson holds the line. Had a give and go with Miller. Now he plays near side for Hughes. Shot. They score. Quinn Hughes threw it to the net off the near wall. Garland was parked in front. And I think he tipped it home. The Canucks make it a one goal game with 106 left in the third. It's 4 to 3. And Garland is claiming it. Andre Kuzmenko into the Nashville zone. Left wing for JT Miller. Shot tip. They score. Miller threw it to the net. Andre Kuzmenko deflects it home with 15.4 seconds remaining in the third period. The Canucks have tied the game at four. Can you believe it? And what a play by Andre Kuzmenko. Not only the goal, but the way he wills the puck into the neutral zone, bouncing off checks. And then creates space, gets the pass to JT Miller, and an excellent tip to score this goal. Canucks came back to tie it late. Andre Kuzmenko, the hero, but they fall in a shootout 5 4 against the Preds. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox 650 650. Now, we are going to get to our text inbox uh, as the show goes on. We are going to hear from uh, Quinn Hughes and Ian McIntyre is going to join us coming up, coming up in a bit. I know a lot of people are wondering about um, the trade 
That has not yet happened. And Still Rick, nothing. And Rick Tockett was asked, and he mentioned that things heated up on Luke Shen last night, and that's why he was kept out of the lineup. And, you know, um, he was kind of coy about everything, but, you know, we are where we are where we are near the trade deadline. We've seen two other players be held out for trade-related reasons so far, and Jacob Chikrin and Gavrikov, and both those players, uh, one for a week, Chikrin, Gavrikov, all, Gavrikov almost for a week. Two weeks now for Chikrin. Oh, two weeks for Chikrin, almost, right? almost I think so, or over a week, I know yeah. that. But regardless, neither player's been traded yet. So just because a player's being held out does not mean a player is on the verge of getting moved. Mm-hmm. But like Talk had mentioned, things have heated up to a point where they're keeping him out. And by the way... Like, what have we talked about when we had a conversation with Horvat and be like, oh, I got to hold him out? What did we always say? Like, the most you're probably going to want to do it? Seven to ten days. Seven to ten days. What's today? Ten days away till the trade deadline. There you go. And it, yeah, so I mean, I don't anticipate we're going to see Luke Shen play until after the trade deadline if he's still with Vancouver. So that's kind of where the situation is at. And I do believe, like I mentioned on TV, one of the reasons why he's not with the team is because his wife is obviously pregnant and uh, the due date's not too far from now. So who knows? Or, you know, like, you know, you want to be there with your wife if you can, if you're not playing. And also, there isn't going to be a lot of time to skate these next couple of days until they come back from St. Louis. And they need a player to stay in shape and move. And he can do that better in Vancouver until the team comes back on Saturday. But I'd be interested to see if they can, if they get a deal done by Saturday, by the time they play the right. Bruins. That's kind of the timeline I'm looking at because I think they would prefer to get it done sooner. And if you can get it done by then, it opens up other possibilities for Vancouver with a deadline being just just under a week away at that stage. It's easier when the Bruins are in town. It's like, save on travel costs. Well, you don't have to call long distance. <laughs> I don't even know if them. people have these plans all built in. Uh, a lot of text messages. Vic, uh, what is happening on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox? Like this one from Brandon and Poco. The way the Canucks have played this season, fans should try to booze Menko diet. And that consists of eating bananas and drinking Pepsi with something <laughs> added. That's Brandon and Poco. Yeah, we'll see what that uh, looks like. Uh, this one, uh, 650, 650. Uh, Bill from Red Deer. Why does Miller insist on doing that wide arch and slow down? Every attempt he's tried in the shootout. Seen him do the same move. Never works. Well, that so happens. Uh, JT Miller has seven goals on the shootout since arriving in Vancouver, uh, which as far as just total goals uh, puts him tied for uh, 16th mm-hmm. among NHL players uh, since arriving in Vancouver. His shootout percentage, uh, 7 of 19. Uh, that's 36.8% uh, or 35%. Uh, that is, uh, it was seven for 20 now, 35%, uh, puts him 54th uh, among players who've taken at least 10 shootout attempts. Yeah. So, so he's, he's doing fine with it. Doing all right. Not too bad. Not too bad. All right. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650, 650, uh, like this one here. Uh, you have to look uh, look past a lot of no-look passes, but overall, J.T. Miller is the best passer amongst the forwards on this team. Is that a hot take, Dino asks? No, not at all. That's why he handles the puck on the power play as much as he does. And by the way... In the final 11 minutes of that game, in regulation, mm-hmm. he played seven minutes and nine seconds. That's a lot. Now, my, some of it was a three-minute shift near the end of the game before they tied it up, but he played seven minutes and nine seconds of the final 11 minutes in that game. And he had a shift uh, earlier where he creates two offensive zone turnovers. Uh, one led to a good Garland shot in the slot, and another one was a bare point shot that JT is trying to bang home a rebound as well. Uh, so we had two, one where he picks off a pass going up the wall. The other one, he chases a guy in the offensive zone and lifts a stick, creates a turnover. Mm-hmm. 
he was pretty impressive in the third period. But... I thought, yeah, I thought he had a pretty strong game overall. Again, I mean, comes away with, what, two points on the evening after this one here tonight or one? No, gets a point, gets one assist mm-hmm. on on the evening. Yeah. And it is on the game-tying goal at the time to Kuzmenko where he gets the pass over to him. And he makes a number of good passes. And, I mean, if you look at also the differentials, we, we've also spoken about JT, how he needs to be more of a play driver. Where these last 11 games now, he's, like, his... If you look at the course numbers, that, that have been positive. But the expected numbers have been hugely in the positive as well for him for, for the entirety of these 11 games. So we're seeing him get back to being the play driver. The question with him is, can he eliminate some of those reckless plays in his mm-hmm. game still? And can he do this more consistently? And can you count on him being a center here long term? Because I don't know if he's going to do I, it long term. but I, I think I'm even less ne- concerned about the long term aspect. Uh, so I'd say the next you need, you're going to need him to play center for at least the next two to three years. It looks like, unless you find another guy mm-hmm. somewhere. One year for sure, unless something happens yeah, with like the lottery or something like that. If you get Connor Bedard. Yeah. You know, I know somebody texted in, too, and said something about, uh, I think most fans want this team to lose right now in the higher draft pick. I think that's true. I think most fans do want this team to get the higher draft pick, and they're going to get a chance to get that higher draft pick this season. But when you look at so how some of the games and how they've played these last 11 it's hard to be. It's hard to say that their process is worse since Rocket took over. Like it's it's hard yeah, to no. say they're worse because they're not. Like it has been better, and I hear people being like, "Well, you know, are are, are we giving them too much credit?" I don't. I don't think it's about credit. It's just about properly evaluating how this team is playing. And I think JT falls into that because I think when you talk about JT playing better. And being better these last 11 games, the people who don't like JT's game, and again, he's given enough ammo to people to not Mm -hmm. like his game this season, so I get it. But it seems like there's so so much disdain for JT that when you talk about him being better, it's kind of like, yeah, but, yeah, but, whatever, what about this, what about this, what this. It's like, well, no, like legitimately, he's playing better hockey. And you should want to see JT play better. Because even if you don't want him problem. It solves a problem one way or another. One, it's either he's going to be good here, or B, he's good enough that somebody comes calling giving you what you want for him. And that's a good thing to have. And to me, one of the biggest stories for this team long-term is going to be JT being that difference maker. And him being a play driver and somebody being capable of playing center is a huge, huge part of whether this team is going to be competitive the next few years. So if he's doing well right now, you have to recognize that and see how sustainable that is. I know Cheech bugs me a lot for using the word sustainable on this show, but what's sustainable? Nothing sustainable. I'd say that's the question with JT, but we saw a good portion of it last year playing center. We're seeing a bit more of it now. If he closes the season strong, continuing to play this way, like you said, it solves a couple of problems. The big thing for me is it feels like the chance creation for JT is back a little bit. That was the concerning bit for me. I, I Look, there's going to be defensive issues with JT Miller at times. And are you going to see some turnovers? Yes. Yeah. You absolutely will. But the, the thing that really had me concerned is it felt like the, the play driving element of just generating for your teammates was really starting to dry up in the in the, the early part of the season. Massively. And that was... That's alarming. That was the, the most alarming bit. Because if, if that evaporated, then everything else looks worse. Like the turnovers and the... Um, mm. Well, I, hey, you know what? Sketchy defensive play. What do we talk about? 
outscore yeah. exactly if you have problems outscore them or like how do you overcome your problems and you know we've had we had reservations about G, about Bo's overall play mm-hmm. and we still criticize him at times but it was hard to be overly critical of him as a Canuck this year because he was still net positive mm-hmm. he was scoring at such a high rate no matter all no matter what issues he had defensively you're okay with because like hey at the end of the day the dude had 31 goals Right, as you're bringing the bottom line, that's what matters in a great degree, and we need to see more of that. And, and look, it still needs to increase too. Here in the past uh, eleven games under Rick Tockett, it still needs to get better. But he's much closer to playing like a top six forward in these last eleven games under Rick Tockett than what we saw for a couple of months there. Uh, under Bruce Boudreau. Yeah. Like, oh. the, the chance creation numbers were but uh, among yeah, the worst they five were. on li- in, in the league. And it wasn't just playing – it was just playing five on five. It wasn't just, like, playing center. It was just playing – it was yeah. – wing was most, in, mostly what he played. But one thing I will say before – I just want to put a pin in this JT thing. But if you said JT can't play center based on those nine games earlier this season – Oh, yeah. And then now you're saying, well, it's only 11 games. You're being a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Because I remember, remember people saying, these nine games he played proves he can't play center. It proves he can't play center. And then now I see people, the same people, because I know the numbers, I remember, being like, well, it's only 11 games. It's like, well. And by the way, bottom line, I know some people are saying, hey, the process is better. What about the bottom line? I've cited the stat since January 1st. The Canucks have the least amount of points in the league. 14 points, worst points percentage. In the last 11 games under Rick Tockett, they are now 7th. With 10 points in 11 games, six teams below them, St. Louis, Washington, Chicago, Philly, Montreal, and Pittsburgh. So their bump, their bump... Is still below 500. Yeah, and it's still being seventh worst in the league. They're not a good hockey team. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose a lot of games, but they will win some games. And tonight they got a point against the Nashville Predators. But Chicago got two. They did. They did get two. Uh, Torgy texts in and says, I think having Tockett will bring the best out of JT. Wasn't enough accountability throughout the team. And that's the hope. And sorry, one other thing on the standings. Yes. So, Canucks and Arizona both have forty nine points. They both have fifteen regulation wins, but the Canucks have more uh, regulation and overtime wins than the Coyotes. So that's why they moved up a draft mm-hmm. slot. Yes, they go to sixth. Arizona now holds the fifth best lottery odds. Regulation wins is the first tiebreaker. Yeah. Regulation OT wins is the second tiebreaker. That's why it's they go from fifth to sixth today. Yes, they they do. And that's where they're at, and we'll see what happens after the game against the Blues, who also lost tonight and are six points up on Vancouver. Same amount of games played, made two trades already, and still trying to trade players off their roster as well. So they're trying to position themselves to have a shot at Connor Bedard as well. We'll get to more of your text messages here, and we'll talk more about Christian Wallanen. I know a lot of people have been sending thoughts in on him. Also, Connor Garland, who had a solid game tonight, and we'll keep breaking it down for the Vancouver Canucks, who come up short yet again, this time in a shootout against the Nashville Predators. Now, a player who had a multi-point game on the back end was Quinn Hughes, two points tonight, and uh, he he joins a a pretty... So, there's only a few defensemen who have had more multi-point games. I was going to save this for after the audio, but all right. Oh, you want to do it afterwards? No, oh, you, want, you know, tease it. No, tease. We'll tease. You beat it. me to it. You no, beat no, me no, to no, it. no, no. I don't have the full numbers. You know what? I will let. Okay. This is a good tease. We'll tell you where Quinn Hughes ranks amongst U.S. defensemen under the age of 24 in multi-goal, multi-point games. Had two points tonight, and here is Quinn Hughes meeting with the media after the loss in Nashville. I don't, I'm not going to say we dominated them, but we definitely had more ozone time than them. We made plays. Guys worked hard. We got pucks out, blocked shots. Didn't give them much. I mean, 
shift here and there, but I thought we were probably better tonight, and yeah, so that's what I like. So you like the push at the end? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen that all year from team, from us. We don't quit. Um, you know, exciting to bring ourselves back in the game, though. Two goals with a minute and a half left. Just shows, you know, character, but also how guys, you know, want to win and are competitive and aren't just going to lay down. You, uh, like, you outplayed them, I think. Uh, certainly outshot them uh, five on five. But on a couple of the goals they gave up, especially the one in the last 10 seconds of the second, I think you just, as a team, need to be more robust. Yeah, I mean, that one's tough because there's, yeah, like you said, 10 seconds left, but at the same time, that brings us to 3-2. It's not the end of the world. Um, so as a team, I think we just we realized we were playing good hockey in here and just got to regroup as far as that. You know, mistakes happen, but obviously didn't want that to happen, but at the same time, we were still right there. I know that you guys all realize this is a business and it's a certain time of year where things happen, but is it hard when you see a guy that you've played with a lot yeah. on this team, you know, being told he's... Yeah, it's tough. I mean, he's a guy I care about because, you know, he's a great teammate, great person. He's a winner, and I don't just say that because he, you know, won. I just say that because the way he carries himself day in, day out. And, you know, he's a good person. He's a good teammate. He sticks up for people in here. And, you know, I've seen things like this. Um, the closest thing I can compare it to is, you know, Chris Tanev. So, for me, I just, uh, like I said, I've seen it before, and, sucks but at the same time you said it yourself it's a business and it's going to shake out how it shakes out and none of us know how that's going to how it's going to happen yet that is quinn hughes uh talking about luke shen a guy he cares very much about but understands it is a business and uh, i think quinn has been surprised a couple times this year remember when he sat down with elliot and jeff merrick before the season and they had you know the sit down on 32 thoughts and it was a very engaging quinn hughes and they asked him about the bull horvat situation he said oh they're gonna get that done i think they like him they're gonna get that done like he he seemed convinced the canucks are gonna keep bull horvat so just to say it's been one of those years where i think he's being genuine when he says you never know what to expect like i don't know what to expect i think that's where it comes from a little bit where it's like Hey, I thought something's going to happen this year, and it didn't happen. So, like, don't ask me. I don't know what what's going to go down. His insider track record is a bit spotty. His uh, <laughs> point production certainly isn't. Uh, again, tweeted out by NHL Network. Yeah. Uh, most multi-point games by U.S.-born D-man before the age of 24. He's now had 50 of those games. Uh, behind Phil Housley, who had 103. Brian Leach with 78. Gary Suter with 54. And then... Quinn and Q is an ally of Frady with 50 each. Ally of Frady. Man can shoot the puck and score points. Great hair, too. Well, great mullet. <laughs> great back of his hair. It was a look. It was a look. A skullet. Yeah. <laughs> Again, for that hairstyle, he had a memorable one. It might not be the greatest hairstyle, but for that hairstyle, it was really strong. It was strong, yeah. Hey, at the time, it looked great. If I said skullet, how many people do you think of? Al Afrady. Yeah, exactly. Headliner for a, for, for a style. That's the only st- That's the man. Exactly. Uh, that or what was that? Uh, oh, I forget what was his name uh, from Ghostbusters. The um, the man in the painting. He had a skullet. Vigo. Too. Vigo. There you go. He had a skullet. Unless you're Vigo from. Vigo the Carpathian. Car- yeah, there you go. Vigo the Carpathian. I love Ghostbusters. That's why. Yeah. Well, again, do you, have a, do you have a spreadsheet for that too? Ghostbusters. 
Uh, I have a spreadsheet for my favorite movies. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. Not at all. Uh, this one shot Scott and Poco. I can't remember a season where Canucks fans have been so furious for coming back in a game. Team Tank is real. Keep dropping. Uh, that's one text coming in. And Dan says, thinking of how polarizing Miller is in this market makes me think of who else has had this kind of fan reaction. Is JTR version of Phil Kessel in Toronto? That's Dan texting in. Interesting. Yeah, and look, I've likened the transaction of JT and the the contract extension that do they view like does this management group group view JT as kind of their Phil Kessel in Pittsburgh where come crunch time they just wanted someone that's a mercenary goal creator yeah where that's what Phil Kessel was we can put him on the third line we can put him on the first line come playoffs if we just need a goal he just might produce a bit of magic and there he is yeah I'm just curious if they viewed it the same way and said, hey, we're, we're skipping the steps here because we acquired Kessel late, but that's how we just view this player. Yeah, and I think He that can produce points. When, and I think they, they do like his versatility mm-hmm. as well, and there are certain aspects of his game that they, they do truly like. Again, he can play center. Yes. I just think he's a better winger. I agree. He, I agree. That, it doesn't mean he can play center. I think he's his, his most optimal being a, a winger with a good centerman, and if you can get one down the road here, then I think it, all, it puts it all together. It's like the... Uh... The Jurassic Park line. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't think of whether they should. It's like, yeah, JT can play center, but yes. so preoccupied with whether he, <laughs> he could, <can>. doesn't <laughs> didn't think about whether he should. There you go. So uh, we made a reference to Ghostbusters and Jurassic Park, two of Bix's favorite movies. Yeah, don't franchises. worry. We'll get towards 1997 movie references pretty soon. Here. <laughs> yeah, we'll move it. We'll move uh, into the millennial <laughs> stage a bit more. Uh, uh, Aichi in Toronto, Tyler Myers was minus three, the worst plus minus out of both teams. And says, you could say he was underneath it all. More more Gwen Stefani references. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and Owen and Burnaby, they're definitely playing with more structure and don't seem to panic as much when things don't go wrong. A defense core is still abysmal, but the forwards are definitely better under Tockett, Garland, and Miller in particular, Owen and Burnaby. We've spoken about Miller quite a bit. Connor Garland, hey... Vic, Connor Garland picked up a, a goal and an assist tonight, and Connor Garland, much like, you know, JT, he's been very productive, or at least his most productive ever since the new head coach took over. And there's familiarity there because Talk mm-hmm. had coached them, of course, in Arizona, Vic. But, hey, to give Connor Garland his credit, strong game tonight, and, you know, these last 11, he's getting closer to being a point-per-game player. They had to be in front of the net to uh, get that tip. I was surprised he got moved away from mm-hmm. JT Miller and Phil DiGiuseppe. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see him and Miller together uh, more consistently. But, hey, since Rick Tockett took over. Eight, he has eight points in his last ten games. Uh, No, he got two tonight. Right? Yeah, so that would be eight in his last ten. I mean, eight in his no, last ten. No, isn't it nine in his last eleven? I believe it's nine in his last well, eleven. Well, same thing. Eight in his last ten. Nine in his last 11. So literally more. Well, I know, but I'm saying, I was saying he had eight in his last 10, and you're adding another game. And I'm saying, he's, he's, both things are true. He has eight points in his last 10, and also nine points in his last 11. No, because he got two points tonight. Yeah. It'd be seven in his last 10. No. If he has nine points in his last. He has, he has nine, he has seven points in his last uh, 10 game in his last nine games. Okay. We'll do this math. We'll anyway. I'm pretty sure this I'm is, right. <laughs> You're, you're like every person with a tape measure and Connor Garland measuring his height. You're shortchanging him. 
Just, well, I'm just, just saying. Tell. I'm saying in the nine games before this game, he had six points. And if you add the game tonight, 10, that'll be eight points in his last 10. I said since Talkett has arrived. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Seven in his 10. I'm saying both are right. That's what I'm saying. All right. This is his 11th game under Talkett. Yeah, and he's got nine points. Yes. So it's been much better. <laughs> it has been. Like I said, almost a point-per-game player. He's been, he's been closer to a point-per-game player now, and his numbers look a lot better around the season. And I think the most important thing here for these players is to either A, become something that you can actually make use of so the money's worth it, or B, you can actually move and get something for it. And Besser's played better, but we, we've talked about his process still, and, and it needs to still improve. But Connor Garland, what do you make of how he's come along? Do you think he looks like a guy now that, A, you either feel better about being here next season, or B, that they can find a way to move? It's the same conversation we had with Brock last week, right? Where some people were saying, like, hey, is he playing better, and is he worth 6.65? And yeah. is he playing like the rookie version of Brock Besser? You know, for me, it's just what role are you cast in? Where are you in the depth chart? Yeah. And then you have to make the equation of, is this spot in the depth chart worth the money that you're paying? And I just fear that Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, definitely ahead of him in the, on the depth chart. Right now, comparable with Anthony Bovillier, who's also picking up points. But Bovillier, cheaper. And has different traits, too. That, so it has traits that are probably more valued. By this group than the last group. So my only question here is, who's the duo for for Miller? If he's if he's a center, yeah, I would say Mikheyev for one. Mikheyev. So if you're keeping either Bavillier or put Coles in with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, so is Mikheyev and and Miller a duo, or is Mikheyev more of that dirty work guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, to me, on the roster, Garland's the better option than sure. it is than Besser is to play with Miller. But I don't think either is perfect. Yeah, I think of of the players that are available to you right now on the depth chart, I think Brock is probably fifth for the wingers. Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, uh, Beauvillier, mm-hmm. Garland, put Coles in. Yeah. So is that six? Yes. So well, these are the six players they currently have right yeah, now. Yeah, but I, I think Brock is probably fifth or sixth. And I, I think you could make the argument that Beauvillier is ahead of Garland as well. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I think Bavillier in terms of usage-wise um, absolutely is. <laughs> but the only thing, though, about Garland's game that I wonder with just this organization in general, where do you use him beyond 5-on-5? Five five? And I think the same thing kind of holds true for Besser right now, especially mm-hmm. with Kuzmenko coming in. And that's where Bavillier even though he hasn't killed a ton on the penalty kill, but it's like, hey, they feel like he can play the bumper if need be. He could play the PK. He could play in a bit of a matchup role. You're only using Garling in a straight-up offensive role. And even though his metrics are okay defensively, he's not a guy that's going to thrive playing mm-hmm. in that type of a role. And Besser is the same thing. So the only question is, do those guys even provide more? Because I don't know if there's a path. I think as long as these guys play better, I think it's about moving those guys out. Now, Linda from Surrey says, no way Super Pest 8 is on it every single game. And he, he works hard. I'm not saying he doesn't. He's been better recently. Past 11, certainly. Organizationally, I don't know if there's anything they can do for them to be like, oh, yeah, we buy into this guy now. Especially considering that they want speed along the wing. 
And Carlin Garland can move certainly faster than Brock Besser, mm-hmm. but he's, is he at a threshold that they really value? You you can tell the difference between Garland and Beauvillier with the way they move on the ice. I think Connor Garland has more control with the puck than Beauvillier and more creative. But if you're not creating space for others, and especially if you're the secondary guy in a line, not main, not the primary driver, would they prefer someone who's fast? So Bo says Garland's a way better player than Beauvillier. I will mention why I think it's close. And why I may disagree with that. And same with Bick. We'll talk more about this as the Canucks Center Post Game Show rolls on. Ian McIntyre will join us as well as Satyar Shaw, Bick Nazar, and the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in B.C. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. On. Left wing for Smith into the Vancouver zone. Pushed to the boards by Ethan Bear. Puck comes free left wing for Matias Ekholm. Tied up by Quinn Hughes. Got it free to Ethan Bear. Here's a stretch pass. Kuzmenko's got a breakaway in a load. He scores! Andre Kuzmenko fires it into the top right corner. Over the glove of UC Saros, and the Canucks make it a one-goal game on Kuzmenko's 25th of the season. Welcome back to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks lose in a shootout against the Nashville Predators, but Andre Kuzmenko, two goals and played a terrific game for the Vancouver Canucks, forcing them into overtime in a shootout, but the Preds come out on top. It's Satin Big. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. I'll start with this question because we've seen it a few times. Paul and Sunshine Coast, what's the buyout on Myers? Um... Not just it. It's it's completely um, unnecessary. Like it, you save more money by burying Tyler Myers in the minors next season than buying him out. A buyout charge next year is five point four million on the cap, and there's another charge the following year of how much? Like a few hundred k. It's five point three, and then three hundred thirty three k the next year. The next year that that's negligible three hundred thirty k whatever. But basically, if you put him in the minors. You get over a million dollars off the book. As you said, it costs you more to fill the roster spot if you buy him out because yeah, because so because you, you save six hundred k next season. Yes. but you have to sign someone or you have to have another body, and, and that's going to cost you over seven hundred fifty k precisely because that's a league minimum contract. So buying out Myers, so because it's a five million dollars signing bonus, the signing bonus doesn't get bought out. You can't buy out a signing bonus. So all you're buying out is a $1 million salary at two-thirds, which means you're only saving $300,000 in cash by buying out Tyler Myers. And you're only getting a $600,000 cap relief. It's just a non-starter. It's complete. Like, it, it, it literally costs you more money to buy out Myers than having a league minimum player play as a seventh defenseman on your team. So, in other words, not going to happen. It makes no sense to do it. It just hurts you. Would you do it just to send a message as an organization? I think at that point, you'd just rather just send him down. Just yeah. take him off your roster. Why but, even do that? again, as we've maintained, it is so hard to find right-shot demon to take minutes. Impossible. Just impossible to find right-handed demon yeah. to be able to play minutes. That's why at $3 million cap hit, in a $500,000 salary, if you retain by the start of next season or at some point next season, you can probably find a home somewhere for him. Totally agree. You know, so that that's kind of where you're at with Tyler Myers. But I understand the question. It's been asked a number of different times. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's Canucks went three for four on the PK, and that's a win. 
I mean, the PK was good outside of the one mistake Myers made, which led to the Tomasino mm-hmm. goal. And again, we talked about that goal during the intermission where they were focusing on trying to protect the blue line. Yeah. Prevent the entry. Yes. Nashville doesn't play with a lot of speed, so you can kind of push higher up and force them to. And he was just slow to push out towards that blue line. And as he did, Tomasino's coming down downhill with a full head of speed. And it's just a give and go with Parson in, And suddenly, as he tries to meet that point of Tomasino, he can't readjust and course correct fast enough. No. And he certainly can't accelerate fast enough when guys got a full head of speed. So he was just late behind it. Tomasino goes backhand far post around Colindelia for that goal. Yeah, we got a lot of reaction here on Myers in general. But this one says, um, you know, lean on someone in front of the net. Pick up the trailer instead uh, of interfering with your own goalie. Not once. Willan and Burroughs and even Breezeball have proven to fill in ac- adequately other than uh, a talkative evaluation is he in in the lineup for the tank? Is what one tech text said, and somebody else texted in and said OEL or Willannon is better than OEL. And let's spend a moment or two on Christian Willannon here, Bick. And we spent a lot of time on Myers and a lot of the criticism uh, towards him. But I'd say Willannon had another strong performance. Yeah, again, we talked about the first goal, the Cole Smith goal. There's some mix up there between him and Tyler Myers, yeah. and and honestly, most of the players on the team, uh, or at least that were on the ice. He just does small things, uh, just subtle, effective moving the puck plays. Last game, yeah, we noticed a play like through the neutral zone where it was just a touch pass, and he can make quick decisions on the puck. So he's an effective puck mover. And I do wonder, given the profile of some of the guys that Rutherford and Alvin acquired mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, if this is a cost-effective measure, like a, a scaled-down version of a Marcus Pedersen. Because Marcus Pedersen, the thing that he can do is... Move the puck. Go retrieve pucks and go move the puck quickly. He does There, that there are well. defensive issues. Yeah, of course. But that's what they targeted. Yeah, and I've asked about Willannon, and what I kept hearing back was they have been an enamored organization with his overall play. So I've always had some question about mm-hmm. how they feel about him. Because I'm with you. I'm like, why not? But he's got a chance here. Here's another game, some mistakes, but overall not too bad. It's positive. If he keeps playing this way, I'd love to see him come back and be part of the mix. See, these are the types of guys you have to take chances on. A, a sub $1 million contract, I'm sure he would take that as well. Yeah, and if you're moving some guys out, let him come in and vie for the spot. It's only been a couple of games. You see a lot of tangible things there, though, with him. Right? As people have texted in, is there any appreciable difference between OEL and Christian Willannon? Well, not if he plays that way. It, look, there's a PK element to it that obviously OEL does eat PK minutes, and yes. so that's a role that is going to have to be fulfilled. But when you're 65% on the PK, you can say, like, hey, we're not even having success at this anyways. The bar for someone like Willannon to cross if he's playing those minutes is fairly low. But... He he doesn't. Can you play power play two minutes? Right, and he has been playing some power play two minutes. Uh, you know, he only got about eighteen thirty. He got two minutes on the power play tonight. Christian Willannon, so that second unit got out a little bit here uh, this evening, so he's not getting the same minutes, not getting the same uh, uh, role ascribed to him that OEL got. So mm-hmm. you can't sit here and say, oh, well, you know, he's better than OEL because if he plays forty games, twenty two, twenty three minutes a game, tough opposition, yep. playing on the PK, is he going to be better than OEL? I'm not sure necessarily. You know, as bad as OEL has been, he struggled. It's not just like anybody can step into those minutes and be that bad or be as bad. Maybe they're even worse. You know, we've seen that in the past as well. But another positive step in the right direction for Christian Willannon as he's trying to impress the organization. Um, we we want to get the, the Garland Pavilion. Yes. So 
Bo texted in and said Garland's the better player. And if you look at the skill overall, I think Garland's a better player than Bavillier. Like, I, I'd agree. I think, do you agree with that too? Like, hockey skill, which one's the more talented player? We're not talking about in a vacuum which player is better. Like, in a vacuum, I would say Connor Garland's a more talented hockey talented player. Talented hockey player. Right. As in terms of functionality and how you want to play as a team, and who fits with who. I'd rather have Connor Garland being a supporting player in my top six than I would have Connor Garland being a... Bavillier. Yes. No, hang on. You, you flipped that around. I, no, I'd rather have uh, Bavillier than Garland. Yeah. Yes. It just comes down to style, right? I don't view Connor Garland as a primary play-driving line mate. Yeah. Is he, is he going to be the first guy on a line? No. And if he is, it's going to be the third line. Well, and so in that scenario, we can say, hey, who's the more talented player to be the primary play driver? It would be Connor Garland versus Beauvillier right. on the third line. But who plays best with another person? And what style are you trying to create if you're going to be the secondary guy? It's very obvious they want north-south guys to go with their star players down the middle. So if, if that's what we're searching for, I'd rather have Anthony Beauvillier with... PD than Connor Garland. How many redundancies does this team already have? Like, Kuzmenko is your all-in-out scoring winger who can play on the power play. And just who has a better shot than Connor Garland. Right, like, he's a goal scorer. Brock Besser doesn't have pace. He needs to be a skill game. Doesn't play on a second unit power play, doesn't play at the PK. Garland's second unit power play doesn't really play to PK. Needs to play in a skill type of role to be successful on your team. To build a hockey team out, you need to have pieces that fit. And the issue with this team has been they've had a lot of players who are top six in name, but not the type that would fit together. You need north-south guys. You need guys that are good along the walls, that can dig pucks out. And then you need to have playmakers and goal scorers. You need a combination of players. And I'd rather have Hoaglander come up and play for play those minutes. You know what I mean? Like If I'm looking at the skill, like I'd, I'd rather get put Coles in the time than those well, that's guys. That's the thing. Like, who's more likely to get a top six role next year? Connor Garland or Vasily Podkolzin? Yeah, and Podkolzin can play different different styles. And, again, it's not about who's necessarily a better player. It's more about fit. And you got to build a hockey team with players that fit. And even though Bavillier is not perfect, and I'm all for trading Bavillier next season, it's more like I'd rather have that player type as my third guy in, in the top six than have a Garland type who you're paying more for who can't do some of the things that he would provide. Like, what's the point of having Besser and Garland on your two wings? Nothing. We've seen that with this team. When those two guys are on the same line, the, team, the line goes nowhere. And, and they're at their best when the puck is on their stick. In all respect to them, I'd rather have JT Miller and Elias Patterson with the puck on their stick. Exactly. So, so how do you want to play out? So I think fit for this team, I'd much rather have a player like Bavillier and Mikheyev be the third guy in my top six. Like, if you have Mikheyev on one line put Colson slash Bavilia type on the other line. Now you have Kuzmenko. Now go and find me another winger that's a dynamic playmaker. Because the other issue here is if Miller's here long-term and playing center, who's his duo? Mm-hmm. Like, who's the duo? We talked about this a bit earlier, but is it Garland long-term? And is it Besser long-term? The organization's still on the search for more centers. They so get, he can move it to the if wing. If they get one, Miller's going to go to the wing. And so suddenly Garland's dealing with another body yeah. in that. So you look at it, it's like, well, Mikheyev, Miller, put Colson... All ahead of them on the depth chart. I mean, they're top six. The way if you if you are able to move Besser and Garland, I think that opens up the opportunity for you to get another like scoring winger potentially mm-hmm. or a centerman, and then now your top six comes together. And obviously, they need a third line center or a guy that can 
play on the PK as a centerman, that can play matchups decently as a centerman, somebody who can play that prescribed third-line role effectively. They do that, now your forward group comes together. But they have way too many redundancies for players that don't provide. And you can't be playing paying over $11 million for two guys to not play on your first unit power play and not make an impact on your PK. And they're not scoring enough. They're scoring more right now, but you're not getting enough production to say, as pure offensive guys, this is what they're providing. Uh, this one, 650-650. Uh, for guys that don't like to draw conclusions on small samples, you sure have the pom-poms out for Beauvillier after 11 games. Sorry, I, I guess that covers that whole conversation. Yeah, there as I think well. we had a pretty good answer to that. Uh, who do you guys think will score more points per dollar next season, Horvat or Beauvillier? Ooh, right, because that's eight per dollar. Yeah. Ooh, for next season. If okay, if Bevi- I still think it's Horvat. It's Horvat, probably. I mean, I mean, number one, I'm not sure if Bavilia is going to be here next season all yeah. year, and number two, even if he is, he's going to stick with Pedersen all year. Because, like we mentioned, Mikheyev is going to be back, and Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Pedersen was a really good trio. Mm-hmm. Now. If Bouvillier is a good fit, I can live with Bouvillier staying there, and then Mikheyev goes and plays with Miller, and that opens things up a little bit, and you're giving a two-way ace playing alongside JT on the wing, and I don't mind that combination. Um, but that's kind of the way I, the way I would prefer to see it, but I'd still bet on Horvat getting more points next season than Bouvillier. Great question, though. Yeah, good question. 650-650. Uh, Dale and Maple Ridge, any update on the Luke Shen trade? Oh, let me check. Let me check. No, no trade yet. No, still no held yet. off. Still oh, no it'll trade. be interesting tomorrow, though. Yeah. And and the next couple of days here. Yeah. As you were saying earlier, uh, probably not imminent, but certainly uh, getting to the deal zone. Yes. And because it's so cost effective, probably not as many hurdles to jump over like a Chikrin or a Gavrikov. This is a pretty simple deal to try to sort out. It's just a matter of what is the destination uh, when it comes to Luke Shen. Yeah, and okay, so Bick, give me your seven teams. I just kind of look at this and I say, like, why today? Right? Like, who who, who, who wants to jump the queue? Yeah, what, what reason do you have for the ambition? And how much money is left and who does it fit for? And there's about 250-some-odd thousand dollars yeah. left on uh, Luke Shen's contract. So that's kind of what you're trying to fit it under. And I, I just... I think there's a handful of teams. I know Boston's obviously been in the mix. Yeah. Are they going to jump the queue for it? Like they do have Carlo, they do have McAvoy. The it only feels- way, the only way, Bick, I see Boston jump in the queue is if they do a bigger type of deal and Boston gets some cap flexibility. Right. Like you're making a bigger deal where Vancouver takes another contract on Mike Riley, for instance, to sweeten the pot, and that way Boston gets a defenseman, sure. righty, and they get cap space to do other things. That's the only way I yeah. see see it from Boston's motivation. Because I'm with you. Outside of that, I'm not sure of the motivation. I wonder about Tampa because we've always known yeah. Toronto. Obviously, yeah, uh, they've been rumored. I kind of wonder about Pittsburgh. I mean, one thing, they got bullied the other night. Yeah. Uh, I know Berkey, uh, I know Friedman and Merrick have talked about how Berkey's not too happy with uh, them and, not being tough enough maybe this year. And really just look at who they have along their back line. Dumoulin Latang, Patterson Petrie, Pierre Olivier Joseph, and Chad Ruhito. Yeah. There's a certain style of player that it feels like they're missing. And a Luke Shen would feel like it slides really nicely in there. Wouldn't be bad. I think that that kind of fits. Th- that's a team I do wonder about. Um, but the thing about them is, I mean, yeah, I guess you can get a second from them. 
and look, it's one of those things where it's a, a nice acquisition and you're not overextending yourself. They're probably not going to give up first round picks because they're in this weird spot where they have yeah. to start transitioning and worry about the future. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if they do enough to reward Crosby, Malcolm, Latang to say, look, we bet on you guys to come back. We're still trying, obviously, and we're still trying to push this forward. But we can't give up our premium assets because you were kind of at the tail end of a a run of an era, and they'll just kind of punt on a second to do it. So, so it's a nice enough kind of reward to say yeah. we're still we're still we're still competing. We're still doing it. The one other team I wonder about, what about a team like Detroit? Detroit, because one thing Detroit can't do is give up futures because they're still doing this rebuild. Right. Their players have competed so hard to put them in a playoff spot, and Detroit Red Wings are in a playoff spot right now per, per points percentage. And if you acquire someone like Luke Shen, is that enough of a signal to your guys that, hey, if you work hard and you put yourself in a playoff position, we'll reward you. Right. Well, you know, that's interesting. And uh, we're, we're, we did we did it again, Vic. Right before we're bringing Ian McIntyre oh, on, we talk trade. But this time, I think Ian yeah. is going to give us a pass. The man we call the triple threat. You see him on TV. You hear him on radio. Read him on digital. Because the Canucks held Luke Shen out for trade-related reasons. And he's here to talk to us about that and more on the Canucks Central Postgame Show. You know, in the McIntyre household, we have this rule that you can only play Christmas music in December. And I will say that you guys can talk trade all you like in February and up to the March 3rd trade deadline. Awesome. But after yes. that, after that, I don't want to hear it okay. until the summer. All right. So that's, you guys, you guys can trade everybody hypothetically <laughs> right now. Because tis the season, and you know, realistically, uh, something's something's going to happen with with uh, Luke Shen as well. So, have at her, boys. So Luke Shen, I, I mean, so we mentioned this before. Chikrin and Gavrikov have been healthy scratch for trade related reasons for over a week now, and they haven't been dealt. So it doesn't mean uh, a trade is imminent, but should we expect some something to get done this week at this stage? I think that things uh, obviously have have heated up, and as as I said, reported on TV tonight, that you know things things uh, elevated, uh, the talks elevated uh, Monday night after after the team had arrived, after the Canucks had arrived here in Nashville. So they made the decision that they were going to sit Luke out, and it was actually Luke's choice, his request to go back home where his wife Jessica is expecting a baby on trade deadline day of all days. And uh, I don't think uh, the organization would have made taken the decision to take Shen out of the lineup lightly. Uh, I had asked previously about it and, uh, you know, philosophically there was some opposition to, to just taking him out for an unlimited period of time. Although I guess, wouldn't be unlimited because the trade deadline would limit it. But just in other words, they, they, they didn't really have the appetite to take Luke Shen out just indefinitely. So I think the fact that they've, they've done it now, they're very close to something, but I'm, I'm also told that that part of this is just asset protection. And uh, I think we'll see in, in the next couple of days, if, if whatever had percolated Monday night, 
comes to fruition, it's going to happen soon. But if we haven't seen anything uh, Wednesday, Thursday, then, you know, I, I think probably things have simmered again. And, you know, it may go all the way to, to March 3rd, but they're not going to bring him back into the lineup uh, until after that, if he's, if he's still a Canuck. Because this is, you know, this has been a, a uh, mental, mental drain on, on Shen uh, as well. And I know people often, when I say things like that, and I said something similar about Bo Horvat, some people think, hey, you know, it's a business. Too bad. But these guys are, as JT Miller told me after the game, we're all human. And in Shen's case, you know, his, his main worry whenever I've talked to him uh, uh, about this is, is, his, is about his family, is about his wife. And, you know, how, how is he going to support his wife and his new baby and be there for his, for his family if at the same time the baby's arriving, he's supposed to be somewhere else. He's being traded. And so I think when, when they made the decision, the organization made the decision this morning that they were going to take him out of the lineup to protect the asset, and then Luke uh, requested to go home because his you know, you can imagine, uh, and well, maybe you guys can't because you haven't had, you haven't had kids. But anyone who's I haven't, been, been, I haven't been, <laughs> haven't had kids, nor have yeah. I been traded. So I don't know. Yeah, either. Every, yeah. <laughs> everybody who has been through labor and seen that incredible, you know, experience that incredible moment in, in your lives as a as a as a parent, you know, understands that <laughs> you get to a point. Uh, during the pregnancy where, um, you know, the, the woman, the mother to be, you know, basically has to just completely devote herself to, to, um, getting to that point where the baby is ready to, to come out into the world. And so there's a whole lot of things, uh, to be done by Luke in preparation for a trade, things that often would fall to, you know, a spouse or a partner. Uh, of an athlete, and, you know, the guys always say, and they for years, you know, the the unsung heroes in their lives are, are their are their spouses because you know whenever there's a trade, they pick up the pieces. You know, who came who came back to to Vancouver after the Bo Horvat trade? It wasn't Bo; it was his wife to pack up the house, and and her parents uh, had were looking after their two kids while Holly Horvat did that. And so, you know, Luke is, is, he's got his priorities right. He's going home to, to be with his family, to help his wife the best he can and to prepare for the best he can for whatever comes next. I don't think you can, you can do that. And then if, if there isn't a trade in the next, say, 48 hours, come back into the, you know, rejoin the team and just, pick up where where you left off. I think we're going to have to wait now either for a trade or for the deadline to pass. As far as what happened on the ice tonight, uh, that was a really that was a really long-winded answer. I didn't even you know took I was us through life. That was amazing. <laughs> I didn't know I was even going to go there when I began. It's kind of like sometimes a riff if if I don't know, do you guys play musical instruments? We Not we don't have smart. kids or play musical instruments. We're pretty oh, sad. Okay. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's like a riff and then it just develops and when you start you don't know where it's going to 
going to take you. Oh, yeah, like picking um, a spreadsheet. You never know where that, it's going to take them. <laughs> that took me through a little life lesson via Luke Shen. So. Uh, uh, as far as the game tonight, Andre Kuzmenko, uh, it, it feels like he continues to uh, show a little bit of evolution. And then the, the goal, the game-tying goal, I love the work through the neutral zone, just like working through all this contact. And I, I imagine Rick Tockett loved that element of his game and then obviously the directness uh, getting to the net. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if, if everyone was being honest, if some would have preferred Kuzmenko to get the puck deep when he finally skated out of traffic, because I didn't think he was going to make it through traffic. Mm. But it was a great play by him. Obviously not just to score, but that was that was pretty good. But the way that he was able to get the puck out of the Canucks zone, maintain control of it, possession of it, all the way down the ice, and working essentially a give-and-go with, with Miller uh, to tie the game... I thought he was very good. Played 22 minutes tonight, uh, Kuzmenko. I haven't looked it up. I'm guessing that's his his NHL high to to this point. But he was very good, and that line especially was was very good. Beauvillier was terrific. He almost seems to be getting better uh, game by game. I don't know if he's growing more confident with with his surroundings or playing with Pedersen or just finding his legs again and getting confidence back after he had such a lean season offensively with the Islanders, but he's playing great. And of course, Pedersen's been their MVP all season. And uh, before we let you go, a thought on the defense and really, you know, I, I know Tyler Myers has had some tough nights as a Vancouver Canuck. And I think this this may have been the roughest night we've seen him have. And I know people have been sarcastic about that and saying, well, have you watched him play? He's had a lot of nights like this, but I, I know yeah. he's had some rough nights, but it, it, I'm astonished of how bad he was on every single goal that went in tonight. Yeah, he looked. He did look awful uh, on on the goals, and I think you could tell. I hope you could tell from Rick Tockett's uh, terse brief yes. <laughs> brief answers mm-hmm. when when I think Dan Murphy was who asked him about the pairing, and then I asked him about would he like to see his team be more. Ro- robust in front of their net and he just Mm -hmm. basically said yeah yes yes, please (laughs) yes please but it it was it was a really uh, a really uh, poor night I think for that pairing and Tyler Myers who was on for all four of the goals Um, but on these plays as well there are forwards who who should be helping Uh, and I'm not saying that that I think we've been pretty blunt and clear about culpability but for instance, on the goal at the end of the second period, it's it's the the checking line that's on for Vancouver guys whose whose uh, livelihood is about hard work and engaging and and being responsible defensively, and they weren't they weren't of much help either. But it's just the goals were far too easy for Nashville, and the Canucks were the better team that they deserved more out of this game than they got even though it took two goals in the final 67 seconds of regulation to get anything the Canucks were really good tonight as a team they did so many things well but the goals they gave up were just such easy goals you know and where guys are getting two or three chances from the top of the crease or or maybe only one chance but they're getting it unopposed even though there's a forest of Canuck players around them they're still unimpeded 
they, you just have to, to be tougher to score on than what the, the Canucks were tonight. Even the first goal and the first goal, like, I don't know how that's not offside. I don't think anybody is ever going to know how that's not offside given the, the still frame shots that we saw. <laughs> yeah. But it, but I mean, the first goal, it's, it's the third, third point blank rebound attempt, mm-hmm. you know, by, by Cole Smith and Delia's already made two point blank saves and even as he's scoring on the third chance, nobody is touching him. Yeah. Like nobody is closing down space or making it hard on him. You, you have to defend with a little bit more backbone than what the Canucks showed on the Nashville goal. So they did so many things right, but when you're when you're that permissive in front of your net, uh, it's it's going to be really hard to win in this league. It's like Talkett has mentioned himself. It's the egregious mistakes that have been costing them, and we saw four of those was led to the, the four goals Nashville scored plus the one in the shootout to make it a 5-4 win. Great stuff as always, Ian. We look forward to chatting with you on Thursday when the Canucks conclude this two-game road trip against a team in the bottom of the standings as well, as well the St. Louis Blues. So we look forward to chatting right. with you then. And I will look forward to talking to you from... St. Louis, the Gateway City, <laughs> going from Music City to the Gateway City. What is Vancouver? Like people say Van City, but that's not really. Like what are what city are we? What moniker do we have? The Rebuild uh, City. Re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lottery City at this point? Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what it is. That's our focus. Rebuild rebuild forever. Yeah. <laughs> Perpetual rebuild. That's that's what it seems like. Hey, Ian, great stuff, my friend. Uh, we can't wait to chat with you coming up on Thursday. And make sure to read Ian's latest on Sportsnet.ca. Good night, friends. Uh, you got it. Good night, my friend. Oh, Ian said friend. Yeah, we're friends. Dick held his heart for a moment. My chest. <laughs> All right. Uh, this brings us to the end of the show. Thanks, for everybody, for listening, being part of it, and chatting with us. We look forward to doing it, doing it again on Thursday against the Blues when the Canucks go to St. Louis. Bick, what's happening on the People Show tomorrow, 3 to 4? Uh, I should have just asked him. I think Ian McIntyre tomorrow. Is he on tomorrow? Okay. I believe so. Well, so he gets Plus, to we'll to- unveil uh, a new segment. Oh. Ooh. Do you want to tease or... Yeah, I can, I'll just tell you what it is. Okay, it's what is it? Just looking back at the last uh, week, top 10 Canucks. Top 10 Canucks. We're calling it Bix Billboard. Bix Billboard? Yeah. Okay, Bix We're Billboard. Out We're out here. Bill BB Billboard Bix. <laughs> All right. Billboard Bix is in the house. You got spreadsheets too, man. I love it. You see billboard <laughs> charts and spreadsheets? They all go together. I love it. All right. Uh, make sure to check out the People Show. He's fast. Eddie Gregory producing the show. As always, doing a great job. Thanks for everybody listening. I'm back on Canucks Central with Dan Richo tomorrow, 4 to 6, on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.